Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 54. Last week we left off that there are a number of mehitzot. The word mehitza means a wall, or better yet, maybe a block between a person and his greatness, between a person and what they're supposed to get the most out of life, between a person and their creator. Which means, in simple English, is that by nature, we are close and attracted to our purpose and to our greatness. But there is that block. And when the block is there, as close as we are to our greatness, we will never reach it. Because just like a wall that's sitting in front of you, and there is so much wealth on the other side of the wall. If you do not break the wall, you will never get the wealth, no matter how many years you stood behind that wall. Because walls don't melt down. Walls have to be broken. So we mentioned there are a number of mehitzot, there are a number of walls that stand in the way of a person's greatness and stand in the way of the person reaching their great potential, what they're supposed to be doing in this world, whether it's their relationship with the Creator or their relationship with each other. Last week we mentioned that one of those blocks, one of those walls, is Hebra. Hebra, we said, is socializing, social status. The second one today we're going to be speaking about for a few minutes is called in Hebrew Ga'ava. Ga'ava means arrogance. Let me share with you some of the words that were said by Moshe Rabbeinu. Towards the end of his life, Moshe Rabbeinu turns to the Jewish people. These are the people that he raised, the people that he led, the people that were chosen by Hashem to receive the Torah. After 40 years with them, he says, and I want to tell you something, you're going to Eretz Israel. You go, you're moving on to great things in your future. But he says, but I'm very worried about you. Let's imagine if I asked you, do you get worried sometimes? And you might say yes. And if I asked you, do you ever worry about your children and your grandchildren? You say, yeah, probably. That's most of my worry. That's if you're a good mother, a good father, you probably worry about your children and grandchildren. A healthy worry is okay. And if I ask you, so what do you worry about? Like, what occupies your mind? What is it that you worry about? So I'm not going to ask you that question. But I have some answers. But I bet nobody would have had the following worries. Moshe Rabbeinu stands up and he says, I am worried about you people. I am worried about your children. I am worried about your grandchildren. He says... 
Pen tochal vesabata. I am so worried that you're going to have a lot of food. Could you imagine that? When was the last time a parent worried that his children had too much food? What else are you worried about, Moshe Rabbeinu? I'm so worried you're going to build nice homes. So worried about you. Could you imagine everything probably the opposite of what you would worry about? You worry about your children, how they can afford a house. You worry if they afford one, is it going to be big enough for them? Are they going to put food on the table? And here Moshe Rabbeinu is worried about the opposite of anything we would worry about. He says, I'm so worried you're going to build beautiful homes. I'm so worried. I'm so worried you're going to have so much real estate. You're going to have so much property. I'm so worried. You're going to be so wealthy. I'm so worried about you. If we just stop the class right now and go home, I think we would just have something to think about. Just imagine what a great person worries about. And we have to think twice about why we don't worry about this. And in fact, we worry about the opposite. Is Moshe Rabbeinu not knowledgeable or is not aware of how important food is? Is he, does he not know the value of building a beautiful home to house the family and the children? Does he think that money isn't good? Why is he so worried about real estate? What is going on? So he's not worried about all of these things. Of course, all of these things are tremendous beracha, they're blessings. But he's worried about the results that can come from big blessings. And here goes. He says, I'm worried that all of this beracha that you're going to have in your life, veram levavecha, you're going to get haughty. You're going to be arrogant. You're going to think too much of yourself. You're going to be giving your cred- yourself too much credit. You're going to take pride. You're going to start selling yourself. People are going to compliment you and you say, yeah, of course. People say, how great you look. And you say, well, it's me, of course. They say, how smart you are. And you'll take credit for it. You're going to be an arrogant person. And you're going to start to forget. Who are you going to forget? It says you're going to forget Hashem. But let me tell you else. Hashem is the most obvious problem. But shakahta is not only to Hashem. Shakahta means you're going to forget your family. You're going to forget your values. You're going to forget your friends. You're going to forget what's important in life. And even you will forget the creator that made you. How could you forget the creator that made you? You know, and I know, that we didn't make ourselves. We both know that if God forbid something goes wrong, we couldn't even fix it. 
How would you forget the one who gave you everything you have? Maybe you did a little bit, very, very little. You made some effort, you had some good ideas, some good decisions you made. But we all can agree that 99.9% .9 and more of everything we have was given to you and given to me by the creator of the world. How could you forget that? And by the way, it's not like he gave it to you 30, 40, 60, 70 years ago. He gave you this morning. Last night, if we were sleeping, we were almost dead. And then we woke up. How did you forget that? How did you forget that last night when you went to sleep, you were so tired, you couldn't move. And then you lay down and in the morning you were re-energized. Who did that for you? How could you forget that? How could you forget that when you went shopping, you saw the most delicious, amazing foods? That happened today. How did you forget that? How did you forget that you're breathing? Could you breathe on your own? You know how to breathe? How did you forget that? You forgot that you're walking? You forgot that you have muscles? You forgot that you could see what you're watching now? How did you forget that? This is not from Adam Arishon that you forgot. How could someone forget their creator? Their mother, I could understand. They didn't see her since last week. Or maybe it's been years. I could understand you could forget everybody in your life. How could you forget the creator of the world? He's with you every second. And you know it. But that's what arrogance does. When it says that Hashem, that Moshe is worried, you're going to forget Hashem. He doesn't mean only Hashem. He means even Hashem. You're going to forget your friends, your family. A person once told me recently that he went to a wedding of his first cousin. He told my first cousin hardly would say hello to me the entire wedding. It's almost as if I was not existent, as if I was invisible. But other people that came to the wedding, if it was a wealthy person or... He says, you would see the hug and the kiss and thank you for being here. I can't believe you're here. Thank you so much. He said, I'm his cousin. Our fathers were brothers. Not even a hello. That You mean it. What happened to that guy? He forgot his family. By the way, when you're arrogant, you forget your own wife. You forget your own children. You forget your parents. You forget all the people in your life that actually have given you more than anybody else. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm so worried about you that you're going to have so much beracha that instead of using the beracha to do amazing things with it and that it should take you to great heights, it's going to turn against you like everything in this world. We've mentioned this many times. Anytime Hashem gives somebody a beracha or anything, it could either be good or bad. If it's a very good possibility, then it must be also a very bad possibility. If Hashem made you brilliant, you could be so awesome or so bad. The most brilliant people in history have been some of the cruelest people in history. Hashem doesn't choose good or bad for you. That's your choice. He gives you the gifts. He gives you the energy. 
Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm so worried about you. I'm so worried that the beracha that Hashem is going to give you, because you will be able to use it for so much good, but you can have exact opposite. Veram levavecha. And what happens to your arrogance? What is it going to do to you? It's going to make you forget all the important people in your life. And even the creator of the world who is with you every second. And when you get arrogant, you're going to start talking to yourself. And you're going to say about yourself, Look how smart I am. I'm so smart. Look at all this that I made. Look at all these decisions that brought me such success. You see, all these people, they're ignorant. They don't know anything. Me, I'm so smart. I can make deals just like that. I know what to say exactly when and how and to whom. The people around me don't know that. Arrogance makes you feel like you're the smartest person on earth and you're surrounded by all invalids. I want to have a conversation with a very wealthy man who was talking to me about how, he, how worried he gets about his children's future. I told him, I don't understand you. Why do you worry about your children's future? You have so much money. He said, but my money's going to run out one day. I said, okay. I said, but your children can also work. He says, I don't know. <laughs> Here's a man who thinks that everything he made is because he's so smart. And his children, they can never do it. Because he's so much smarter. So he's worried about them because they don't know anything. They don't have the capability that he has. Arrogance is the seed of disaster. These are not my words. These are literally the words of Shlomo Amalek. Shlomo Amalek says, Rum einaim. When your eyes start to rise, not to look up, that you become the guy up. Rum einaim. When you get haughty, warhav lev nir reshaim hatat. Let me just translate loosely. When a farmer wants to plant something, they make a furrow, they dig, and then they put a seed. From that seed, whatever they plant, so they're going to get apples from apple seeds, oranges from orange seeds, whatever seed they put in, that's what they get. Says Shlomo Amelech, that arrogance is the seed of all sin. It's the seed of all evil. The arrogance is like a person who plants in that furrow and all of the bad that you see in that person's life, you can attribute it to those seeds that he put in. Ga'ava. Ga'ava is 
a very big wall between us and our greatness in anything. Between us and Hashem, 100%. You know, by nature, we love Hashem. You should know it's not something that we have to learn or to acquire. It's natural. Love of our Creator is natural. But you have to bring the wall down. Like the Pasuk says, Anuchi Omed ben Hashem u'benechem. You know what stands before you and I, says Hashem? Anuchi. When you think too much of yourself. Like the Gemara says, when a person's arrogant, Hashem says, me and him, we can't be in the same room. We can't be together. It's not possible. People can feel so distant from their Creator but he's actually behind the wall. But they'll never see him because their image is blocking. They can never get through. Every marriage that is destroyed or isn't doing great, it has to do with arrogance. It has to do with people, one or both, that their image is blocking the other person. Every parent that hasn't raised their children to the best of their ability is because of arrogance. Even in raising children, the arrogance of the person doesn't allow them to see what the other person sees, to feel what the other person feels, to take care of the issues from their level. Because it's all about me. It's my image. Even a good mother will say, you know how much you're destroying me when you do that? You know how much you upset me? You know I'm exhausted from you? These are all arrogant words. It means life is about me. You see, the right words would be, I'm so concerned for you. How can I help you? It's not about what you're doing to me. It's what you're doing to you. But you can't be a good parent or a good teacher if it's about you. You're not acting good in my classroom. No, no, that's, the, that's not the message. That's not how you help people. It's about you, not about me. You can't be a good parent when it's about you. You can't be a good spouse when it's about you. You can't be a good Jew when it's about you. You can't be a good friend when it's about you. Which, which person here thinks that an arrogant person is so beautiful to look at? Not one person. Even the arrogant despises the arrogant. It's so ugly to have arrogance, but unfortunately, it's right there with us. And very often, we don't even realize it. It's so natural. But it's a mehitza. It's a block. It's a block to our greatness. It's a real problem that we all, on some level, struggle with. Imagine we were going to indict Paro. Imagine they would have taken him to the international court where they try all the criminals like Paro and others in history. And imagine they would be the prosecutor that would come and say to the judge, well, here, here's what we have on this man. Let's open up the files. What do you think they would say? about Paro. What would be his great crimes against humanity? 
Well, I'll tell you what the Torah says. The Torah says that Moshe and Aharon come to Parah and they deliver a message from the Creator. And they told him, listen, here is the message. Hashem is telling you, Ad matai me'anta. How long do you refuse le'anot mipanai? To humble yourself. That's it. He didn't mention that he murdered children. He didn't mention that he's hurting an entire nation for no reason. He didn't mention all the crimes that Paro and his people did. Not one mention. What was the biggest crime that Paro, what he did in his life? You're such an arrogant person. That was his biggest crime? What about all the other things that he did? The answer is that all the other things came from this seed of arrogance. This was the problem with Paro and so many others like him in history. Some beautifully say, of course, it's a hint, it's not what the Pasuk means. When the Pasuk says, Ki ani hichbati et libo. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, He's not listening to you. You know why? Because I'm going to harden his heart. That's the simple explanation. But some say, no, no, there's a hint over here. You know why his heart, heart is so hard? Ki ani because his ani, he's so into himself, he's so full of himself. Ki ani, his ani, it makes him so stubborn. He cannot hear, he cannot listen, he cannot understand. It's the tragedy of all of humanity. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, I am so worried about you. You know, if you weren't going to have so much, I'd be less worried. If you weren't going to be so wealthy, I'd be less worried. If you weren't going to have such beautiful homes, I'd be less worried. But I see how much beracha Hashem is going to give you. Because that beracha is going to help you. But I'm so worried about it at the same time. Imagine what a mother and father should really be worried about. That should be a real worry. Where my children's ga'ava or anava, humility, is going. That's a real wall. A wall that blocks us from our greatness. So far, I gave you two walls. I'm going to give you a third one. I'm not limiting it to three, but I'm giving you examples. I'm not wise enough to say if it's only three or four or five. I don't know how many. But three, clearly, they, they come up to me very, very barur, very clear. Hevra, we're so distracted by our status with people around us. Friends are important. It's one of the important things in life. But friends could be very distracting. You live your whole life just to hear what people have to say about you. You'll suffer for years just to get one compliment. You'll work for years and years and travel for six months at a time just so you can have one status. Distraction. Hevra is a distraction. Ga'ava is a big distraction. Shalva is another distraction. 
something we all wish for. By the way, we all wish for good friends. We all wish for success. And we all wish for shalva. Shalva means serenity, tranquility, peace of mind. Who doesn't want peace of mind? Who doesn't need peace of mind? You could have everything in the world without peace of mind. You have almost nothing. Peace of mind is what lives with you every moment of your life. Your money doesn't live with you. Your house doesn't live with you. Even your family doesn't live with you all the time. But you live with yourself every second. And, and if you're not at peace with yourself, how could you live a normal life? So of course we pray for Shalva. We need Shalva. But Shalva is another wall. When Hashem sends a person Shalva in their life, while it's a very big blessing, like everything we've learned till now, it's a very big blessing to have peace and harmony in your life when you wake up in the morning and everything is the way it's supposed to be. Everyone's in the right place. Everything is happening the way it's supposed to. Business is good. Family is good. Health is good. Parents are good. Everything's good. Shalva. Who wouldn't want that? And who doesn't need that? And again, we should pray for it. But there is a very ugly part of Shalva. The ugly side of Shalva is that it puts you to sleep. That makes you feel very comfortable where you are in life. And for a human that has only a few years to reach some greatness and great accomplishments, that's a very big danger. Imagine sleeping at the Super Bowl that you're playing. This is your moment. You're going to sleep in the Super Bowl. You lost your life's opportunity. This is the game. This is it. Falling asleep in your own life. I mean, there's a time to sleep to rest. But falling asleep in life. When I say falling asleep, it means you're just happy where you are. The little you're doing, maybe not so little. Maybe a little more. Maybe you could be better at that. Maybe you could do more here. But you're sleeping. And life's passing you by. There are classes People are learning, people are growing, people are accomplishing, people are doing, people are giving, and you're sleeping. You're in your backyard, laying down, watching the sun. You're regular, sleeping away your life. People are doing so much out there. What are you doing? And why is it happening to you? Why aren't you pushing along? Why aren't you asking, how much more can I do? How much more can I accomplish? Shalva is one of those reasons. Because when everything is good, instead of saying, wow, everything is good, wow, I have so much to do. What a blessing God gave me that everything is good. So what do I have to fill it up with? The flip side is, you just fall asleep. I can't express it better than the words of David Amelach. David Amelach says in Tehillim, Va'ani amarti beshalvi. He says, when I felt serenity in my life, when everything was going well, I would say, 
דוד המלך הסכים לזה. ואני אמרתי בשלבי, when everything was calm and nice, everyone's getting married on time, they're all having children on time, everything, the money is coming in, everything is good. says דוד המלך, ואני, even someone like me, when there's שלווה, I say, בל אמות לעולם. I will never falter. I will never fall. I will never have to suffer anything. I'm good. Basically means I'm good. I'm never going to fail in anything. That's the way serenity, make, serenity makes you feel. It makes you feel le'olam. Do you know what le'olam means? Le'olam doesn't mean this year. Not I won't fall this year. Not I won't fall next year or in 10 years. Le'olam means for eternity. That means the way you are now, if you feel tranquility, you believe in your mind it's going to stay this way forever. That means even death won't encounter you because things are not going to change. Look how good things are. Even a man like David Melech is at risk when he feels shalva. Again, I say one more time. We pray for Shalva. These classes that we're learning about Simcha is to reach Shalva. Is to reach this state of tranquility. Because you could do so much in life with it. But don't forget, there's a flip side to every good thing Hashem sends you. And falling asleep at the wheel in life is A, dangerous. It's very dangerous. And it is lacking accomplishment. It's lacking the potential that Hashem gave us to, to do so much more. You got to be careful of that wall. There's an interesting Midrash. The Midrash says, on this Perek of Tehillim I just read, So there's an interesting Midrash in Megillat Esther. It almost has a play on these words that's coming from different characters. So for example, it says that when Mordechai was riding on the sus, on the horse that Haman was leading, so it says the Midrash, what was he saying at that time? What was he feeling at that time? So says the says the Midrash, you know what Mordechai was saying? Aromimcha Hashem kidilitani. Hashem, you raised me, thank you. You brought me down, but you raised me higher. Says the Midrash. It gives different Pesukim that he was saying. I only give you one. Then it says, Talmidav, what were his students saying? When they saw, Ahash, uh, when they saw Mordechai riding on the horse. So it brings a Pesuk about his students. It says, They were praising how Hashem takes care of his beloved ones like Mordechai. And then it says, what did Haman say? What was Haman saying when he was moving Mordechai on the horse? What was he saying? What was on his mind at that time? Says the Midrash, Va'ani amarti beshalvi bal emot le'olam. Haman was thinking, wow, when things were so good, I thought I am invincible. 
I can never be broken. Nothing can break me. I could say anything. I could do anything. I could not do anything. It doesn't matter. Because the way I am now, it's going to stay forever. You can't break me. It doesn't matter who you are. What the Midrash is saying in its depth, really, is that the cause of the downfall of Haman, Haman had everything. He could have had such a good life, such a good future. But the Shalva, that tranquility, made him feel invincible. It made him feel like he could do anything. I could say anything to anybody. I could hurt anybody. I could decree anybody. But it's not like that. It's not true. It's an illusion. That's one of the walls. So three walls. They actually rhyme. Hevra, Ga'ava, Shalva. Social status. Arrogance. And tranquility. Are walls that will become forever in a person's life unless they break them. These walls don't just fall apart. They don't just go away. You don't go to class and then leave and say, oh, wow, we got rid of the walls today. You're not getting rid of the walls. These walls need to be broken only by you. Today we're just becoming aware of these walls. But know for a fact that these walls, as long as they're up, they will never allow the person to reach the very greatness that he so desires. A person by nature wants more. They want more from every end of their life. They want to be kinder. They want to have better character. They want to be closer to the people in their life. They want to be closer to Hashem. They want to be better in every area. It's our nature. You don't really need that much to inspire the person. Because the person is already lit up. Believe me, I have so much, I feel, experience in this area. You could light a person up in three seconds. You know why? Because the light's on already. Just like when you have an oven and there's the light, the fire's already on. You just have to turn on a little bit of the gas and boom. People are turned on. They already want. Everybody wants. But the walls don't let anything go through. And that's why these walls can be so dangerous. What does it have to do with what we're learning? Maybe you forgot why we're here to begin with. We were learning about shitika. I should give like a test. What does it have to do with shitika? We said that one of the great attributes to be able to be sameach in life and to enjoy life is you have to know how to be silent. So we spoke about different types of silence. The silence that we're in right now is called silence that comes from wisdom. It's not a silence where I have nothing to say. It's not a silence where I'm trying to control my yetzer because I want to say yashar but I'm holding myself back. It's not that kind of silence. It's a silence that shows that I have tremendous wisdom. That I understand so much that I'm not saying anything. Just like Aharon Kohen, When his children died, as we mentioned last week. When they died on that great day of the inauguration of the Mishkan. Such a tragedy. Such an unfathomable tragedy. And Vahidomi kept quiet. 
It wasn't a quiet of desperation, as we mentioned last week. It was a quiet of simha. What? Simha. What simha have to do with the tragedy of Aharon and his children? How could that be simha? But that's what we learned. The silence of Aharon came from a deep understanding of what was going on that day. And while we hopefully will not have the test of Aharon, but we certainly have many tests like Aharon. We call them Yisurim. We call them moments of suffering in life. Yisurim came to Aharon on that day. But he understood. And it is our job to also understand. Because while we're learning the subject of Simha, as I mentioned last week, if we're not going to master this area of life, there is no chance we can really reach the Simha that we so much want. Because Yisurin is a part of our lives. Nobody's Yisurin are the same. Nobody suffers the same way. And that's why you can never judge another person. You can never say, oh, come on, that's no big deal. I went through that. First of all, you never know what they're going through. And second of all, you're not them. So what you can handle, maybe they can't. And maybe what they could, you can't. You can never judge people when it comes to these doing. No one could say, hey, I've been through it. I, don't worry, it's fine. Never fine. It's a problem. It's suffering. But Yisurin are there to stay. We're going to learn about that today a little bit. Yisurin are part of life. And the way we relate to Yisurin is going to make a very big difference, not only in our simha, but in our life in general. How could Aharon see such terrible Yisurin and keep quiet and be besimha? How? What does that mean? Where does that come from? What does he understand that I don't understand? Because me, if I missed the red light, the green light, I'm already suffering. My simha for the next 20 minutes is already gone. I wanted something to eat and the store was closed. So I'm like going crazy. I can't even handle these things. A man lost his two boys on the day of simha and he's silently happy? What? What does he know that I don't know? What does he have that I don't have? Not that I wish to be in his situation. But at the end of the day, I know I'm going to be in his situation. Not that grand. But we know life is full of Yisurim. So what is it that I need to know? That Aharon Kohen clearly knew. What he knew is... And what we need to know, and this is not a subject you could speak to as a person who's suffering, but we're all suffering in some way, so we're all in the same boat. There's a purpose to Yisri. And we must never forget that. It's not easy to hear. But you must hear. Because such a sacrifice of the Creator. Could you imagine when a father or mother loves their child so much 
to take away something from them. You know how much it hurts a mother to see their child suffering? <coughs> you know how much it hurts when a father has to say no? But they have no choice. Hashem's love for us, as we mentioned last week, is way beyond any father or mother. Your imagination and my imagination can never understand or fathom that love. It's the mother's love, but times way more. You know what it hurts a father to send his son Yisurin? You think, you know, people have this idea that Hashem punishes us. He's mad at us. He did something wrong here. God forbid. That's not what it is. He's suffering. God forbid he's he's in pain. To see the creation that he made with his own hands. It's his investment. It's his child. And he needs to give them Yisurin. That's not something that he enjoys doing. they have a purpose and the purpose is higher than the pain the opposite Hashem is willing to take the pain to see us in pain just to help us the purpose of Yisurin in simple English is to break the walls it's very hard to break the wall of Hevra when your whole life is about your social status, it's all about your friends. What will the Creator do when He sees that His creation is empty of the potential that He needs, that He wants, but He's being blocked? Well, He can't do it for Him. Free choice. can't do it for you. So what am I going to do? I need to give you the ability to break the walls. When you're sitting in bed and you're screaming from pain, what are your friends going to do now for you? All of a sudden, the reality hits. All of a sudden, your arrogance, you start thinking twice, wait, maybe I'm not what I thought I was. Maybe I'm not as great as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Maybe there's other things here Your shalva gets broken. That's the purpose of Yisurin. It has one purpose. The purpose is to help you break the wall. Hashem will never break the wall for you. Because then it's not your doing. It's not your free choice. But what will you do when you see your son or daughter suffering, but they don't even know how much and they have no way of getting out of it. I don't think I could say it better than the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin. The Gemara brings a story. When you first read the story, you might even get a little upset. Certainly you're going to be surprised. The Gemara says <coughs> that 
that Rabbi Eliezer, one of the great rabbis in our history, he was sick, and four of his students, or I don't know, students, they were, it says, Arba'azekenim, four elders, so maybe he was an elder like them. They came to visit him. They came to do Bikur Holim visit. Listen to this visit. Who were the four? Rabbi Tarfon, they're familiar names. Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Yehoshua, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, and Rabbi Akiva. These are the four that came to visit him. So they're sitting there with him or standing there with him. Rabbi Tarfon goes first. You know, Rabbi Tarfon. Say something. We're here to visit Rabbi Elazar. He's sick. Say something. He says, Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Eliezer, excuse me. He says, Tov Atale Yisrael. You are better for the Jewish people than rain. That's how much we need you. You're more important than rain. Because rain could only bring us worldly things. You, you bring us this world, you bring us the next world. Next. Rabbi Yeshua. They gave him the mic. He says, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Eliezer, you, you are better for the Jewish people than the sun. The sun helps us in this world. You help us in this world, in the next world. Okay? Oh, beautiful. Very nice, mashallah. Next one. They call up Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. What do you have to say? You see, by the way, they spoke very short. We have to learn from that. I have to learn their... Uh, I don't know how to do that so long. That's it. They speak. One line and they go off. Anyway... Comes Rabbi Eliezer and he says, You, Rabbi Eliezer, you're better than a father and mother. He's a father and mother bring a person to this world. But you take care of us in this world and the next world. Okay. Each one basically with the same message, with a different spin. We're not going to go into the conversation now. Comes the closer, Rabbi Akiva. He said, Rabbi Akiva, Bechavot, you're the last one, the last speaker. He gets up and he says, Rabbi Eliezer, Habibin Yisurin, suffering is so special, so dear. Habib, so beloved. Beloved is suffering. That's not what Rabbi Eliezer was expecting to hear. Imagine you go visit a sick person. I don't recommend it. I really don't recommend it. You go to visit someone, you say, so nice that you're suffering. Really, so beautiful to see you like this. I, I don't recommend this. This is not what we're coming to learn from this Gemara. I would do like the first three rabbis. But you have to be, I guess Rabbi Akiva knew that Rabbi Eliezer would appreciate it. 
And guess what? From all the four that spoke, Rabbi Eliezer says, Akivan. He tells him, he tells him, he tells them, Samchuni, hold me up. So it was a student. He says, please help me. I want to understand better what Rabbi Akiva was saying. Could you imagine? Rabbi Akiva got it right. Me and you would have been like, what? What's he saying? He said, I really want to hear what you're saying. What are you saying? He's saying something. What are you saying? So the Biakiva tells him, I'll tell you, I have, a, I have a proof. He says, you know, there was a Melech in Am Yisrael. His name was Menashe. Menashe became a Melech at the age of 12. His father was Hezkiah. Hezkiah was one of the greatest Jews that ever lived. He was one of the greatest teachers that Am Yisrael ever had. In his time, it says that even little children knew how to learn Torah. After he passed away, Menashe took over. Menashe, I'm not going to report to you what he did, but he was one of the worst kings in the history of the Jewish people. If there's a sin you can imagine, he did it. worships, taking children and ser- serving idols with the children, korbanot with children, you have no idea. Terrible. But it says, it says Rabbi Akiva, we see at the end of his life that he was taken captive by the king of Assyria and they tied him in chains and they took him to Babel. And the Pasuk says that when he felt this tsara, it says he turned to Hashem and he submitted himself tremendously in front of this creator. And he prayed to Hashem. Says Rabbi Akiva, Hezkiyahu's father was the biggest tzaddik. Could you imagine how much of a role model he was to this boy? Didn't help. He taught him didn't help. No matter what he grew up with, it didn't help. No education helped, no family helped, no father helped, no, nothing. But the one thing that helped him is Yisri. It's the one thing that turned his life. He made Teshuvah. Havivin Yisurin says Rabbi Akiva to his rabbi, Yisurin are a gift. Yisurin aren't reasons to cry. They're reasons to think. They're reasons to wonder. What is it that I might be missing in my life? Yes, I am Rabbi Eliezer. By the way, Yisurin come to even Rabbi Eliezer. Because even if I am Rabbi Eliezer, but maybe I could have been Rabbi Eliezer plus, and I'm still not there. And maybe those walls are also blocking me. The only one who knows our full potential is the one who made us. 
So no matter how much we think we've accomplished, and no matter how great we think we are, even in the spiritual sense, nobody knows about what we can be more than the Creator who made us. So says Rabbi Akiva, Habibin Yisurin, my dear Rabbi Rabbi Eliezer, Yisurin are a gift. Because maybe after this Yisurin, there will be a new Rabbi Eliezer. One that we never saw before. And Yisurin was able to bring it out. Yisurin is to awaken the person. Yisurin is not to be viewed as a punishment. It is to be viewed as a message. It is a letter. A letter of love from the Creator. And if you ask, why would the Creator send a letter of love through pain? The answer is, like Rabbi Akiva says, because the letter of love we're getting all the time. This morning was a letter of love. You woke up this morning. You got the letter of love. You're eating. You're drinking. You're alive. You have so much beracha. The letters of love have been delivered every day to you and to me. But when the letters of love don't make any kind of mark on the person receiving them, what's the loving father supposed to do? Let his child just fall into oblivion? Is that what you would do as a loving father or mother? You would allow your children just to keep going on their way? Habibin Yisurin is such a powerful statement. It's not easy to live with such an understanding, but it's necessary and it's true. Obviously, Rabbi Akiva wasn't telling his rabbi, you're getting punished. He would never say that. He was telling him, Habibin, because the next greatness of you could be right around the corner. The Midrash says on the Pasuk, Vehine Tov Me'od. Hashem saw what He made and it was very perfect. Not just perfect, very perfect. Says the Midrash, like what? What is very perfect? Zo Midat Yisurin. Yisurin is called very perfect. Because perfect is the perfect you. But Yisurin are very perfect because they give you and me to become the perfect you. So they actually are behind the perfect. That's why David Melech says such words that if I think if we understood them, we probably would be uncomfortable saying them, but we say them all the time in Tehillim. Says David Melech, Ashre Hagebe, fortunate is the man. If I would tell you to fill out the rest of that sentence, what would you write? Fortunate is the man that. How many things could you write after those words? Fortunate, like you're so lucky, I can't believe it. You hit the lotto, unbelievable, you're so lucky, you're so fortunate. 
אשרי הגבר אשר תייסרנו יד. Fortunate is the person that you care enough about him to send him suffering that pains you. Fortunate is that person that you love him so much. The Midrash says on the Pasuk in Mishle, famous words of Shlomo HaMelech, Hosech Shifto, if you're a mother or father, who sees your son leading themselves to a very bad place in a very bad situation and you hold back your stick the stick could mean a stick today we don't hit kids it's not going to give any good message years before maybe you could have that was the environment they could feel love with a stick today they cannot but there are other different types of sticks Musar is not only a stick. A shevet is not only a stick. A shevet could mean a strong word. A shevet could mean taking away a privilege. Whatever it might be. Says Shlomo HaMelech, if you see your son or daughter and you don't do anything when you see them sliding, then sonebeno. That's a sign you don't love your children. Because you don't care enough about where they're going. But the one who loves Shiharo Musar makes sure that early in their life they're giving them Musar. Says the Midrash that this is a pasuk that's talking about God Himself. Who is Ohavo? Who loves us? The Creator. Shiharo Musar. He gave us strong Musar in the Shahar. Shahar means the early morning, the early birth of our nation. Where did Hashem tell Abraham we're going? We're going to be Abadim. We're going to be slaves. That was the preparation of the birth of our people. Our people's greatness for 3,300 years had a foundation. The foundation was, Hashem says, you're going to Egypt and you're going to be slaves there. Hashem calls Egypt Kur HaBarzel. Kura Brazil means the iron furnace. The iron furnace, the furnace, it what it does is they put gold or silver or metal and they clean it from any things on it that are not good. You have on your gold certain erosion. You need to put it in a hot fire to clean it good. Before we would be able to receive the Torah, Hashem purified our people. He took away our hevra, our ga'ava, our shalva. He raised as a nation our people where we were ready to become the greatest people in history. Getting the Torah is not a simple thing. It needed preparation. It was the kur ha-barzel. I once saw a story about a group of ladies that was learning Tanakh in Israel. They had a weekly Tanakh class. And they learned about how Hashem put us in Kur HaBarzel. Egypt is compared to the iron furnace. So the teacher was explaining what that meant, but they said, we never saw a person actually do that. Why don't we go to see what they do? These uh, goldsmith or silversmith or the 
people who assay gold and silver. So they took a class trip. And they, saw, they went into this place where the, they saw a man. He was holding a piece of silver with, with, uh, with grabbers. And he was holding, and there was a fire, very hot fire. And he was holding the silver plate over the fire. And he kept looking at it, kept watching it. And then after some time, he looked at it and he put it down. So they asked him, what were you doing? He said, well, I have to hold it by the fire because there were a lot of particles that needed to be cleaned. So they asked him, so why don't you just leave it in the fire? Why are you holding it the whole time? Just leave it and pick it up later. He said, no, I got to be very careful because if I put it in the fire and it stays too long, it could destroy the silver. So they told him, so why don't, how do you know how do you know when it's done? How do you know when that silver plate is perfect? He says, when I look at the plate and I see my image right in that plate, clear, so I know the plate is ready. And they walked away from that class, never expecting such a shi'or. Could you imagine the creator of the world grabbing us. He's watching every minute because too long in that Yisurim, then you lose the person. That's why you always could handle what you're going through because Hashem is holding it. You can't let go. And how does he know when to take it out? When he sees his image, when he sees that Selem Elohim that's in us. When he sees his image in us, when he sees our humility and our kindness and our beauty, our yirachamayim, when he sees that image, he says, now it's good. That's how Hashem prepared our people in Egypt. It was a preparation, not necessarily a punishment. The Pasuk says, Tove Yashar Adonai. Hashem is good. Hashem is yashar. Hashem is straight. You know, yashar and tov don't always go together. I'll give you a story. Gemara and Masechet, Baba Metziah. Gemara says that one time, Rabbah, Bar Barhanen Rabbah, he hired movers to move, he had barrels of wine. He hired them to move a barrel of wine. These guys took the barrel, and as they're moving it, they dropped it. They broke the barrel, and all the wine spilled to the garbage. So what do you do? He wasn't sure they're going to pay. So he grabbed one of their jackets that was expensive, just in case... They don't pay. He has something on them. These guys, they take him to Bedin. And they go in front of Rav, the great rabbis. Rav, one of the great Emoraim. He's a Tana Emorah. He goes to the Bedin of Rav and they say, Rabbi, we worked for this man. We carried his thing. 
He took it out of jacket. So the rabbi tells him, give them back their jacket. Rabbi says, but they owe me money. Is that the rule? Is that the halakha? Is the halakha, is the yashar? Is that the right thing to do? He says, Leman, he told him, yes. Leman telech bederech tovim. In this case, don't be yashar. Maybe you're right. Maybe according to the law, you could take their jacket because they owe you money. That's yashar. But don't be yashar. Be tov. Be good to them. Hazaton. Give them back their jacket. Now, they come back. They tell Rab, he didn't pay us. We're poor people. We don't have money. Our families are waiting home. They need food on the table. We don't have money. They go back to Rab. He says, we need to pay us. Rabbi says, what? Pay them. They caused me a loss. They owe me money. Rabbi tells him, pay them. Rabbi says, Rabbi says, what? That's the halakha? He says, yes. You don't always have to be yashar. Don't always follow the letter of the law. Be lifnim mishurat Do extra. So you see this, these two concepts don't come together always. Tov means you're doing more than you have to. Yashar means exactly what you have to. The Gemara gives a similar situation. Interesting halakha. Hopefully you'll never have such a halakha. But the Gemara says what happens if two people are traveling in a desert, very hot desert, and they only have one jug of water. And they know that this water could only keep one of them alive. So if they share it, if one gives it to his friend to share, then they'll both die. But if one drinks it, the one who has it drinks it, he will live. What do you do? Do you drink it and let your friend die? Or you drink some and he drinks some, and then you see what happens. Anyway, one rabbi says, Ben Petura said, and this halakha, he says, better you drink together, you give your friend, you cannot watch your friend die. You can't do that. Until Rabbi Akiva came and said, no, hayecha kodmi. Take care of yourself first, and then you take care of others. Which means that, what was the discussion here, really? The discussion was that Ben Petura thought, of course it's Yashar to keep your own water. It's the right thing. Who can blame you for that? But you have to be Tov. But being Tov here is not Yashar. Rabbi Akiva says, in this case, you have to be Yashar. Take care of yourself. But the point that I'm trying to tell you is that Tov and Yashar don't always come together. You could be Tov, but not Yashar. You could be Yashar and not Tov. But says the Pasuk, Tov be yashar Hashem. Hashem is both. Even when he's yashar, he's tov. Says the Midrash like what? Give me an example. The Midrash is a beautiful example. The example of the murderer who killed because he wasn't careful. Torah says, you know, in, in the Torah we find betin, we find policemen, we find so many things that we find in normal society. One thing you don't find in the Torah is jail. 
There's no jail. Every society, every country you go has jail. It's a whole system of prisons. We don't have a jail in Judaism. Never in the Torah do we see that, the, oh, this guy did this, put him in jail. There's no jail. This one comes the closest to it. This guy killed. He's not careful. Torah says he must go away to Ir Miklat, a city of refuge. And he stays there until the Kohen Gadol dies. Could be a year, could be a month, it could be forever. He stays there until he gets out when the Kohen Gadol dies. Now, that's Yashar. Yashar means the guy did something wrong. Would you ever say that a court that punished a person who's dangerous, he's a dangerous man. He's driving around the streets 150 miles per hour. He's killing people. Don't you think we should put him away? Of course. That's Yashar. So no, anyone who goes to jail today because he is a danger to society, everybody here would say, that's Yashar. But Hashem is Yashar too. He sends him also to prison. But it's a different kind of prison. You know who he sees in that prison? You know who lives in the city of refuge? You have Shevet Levi. All the Kohanim, the Leviim, the teachers of Am Yisrael, the people learning Torah, all the Tzaddikim and Tzaddikot, they're living in the cities of refuge. And what happens over there? During his time of prison, he is rehabilitating himself. You know what happens to people who go to prison in this country, other countries? You know what happens to them? So they come in with a BA. A BA in hurting others, in theft, in destroying people's lives. You know who they meet over there? They meet people just like them. Hey, what'd you do? Oh, you, you only did that? You only here for that? Come on. You know what I did? You only killed one person? I knocked out a whole bar. Are you kidding? You only stole this? I stole billions of dollars. Well, really? How'd you do it? Let me show you. All of a sudden, the prison becomes the conference of the criminals. And they walk out with a master's degree. Guy walked in with a... He's a small thief. He became a big thief. I, saw, I, I once saw a statistic that 90% of those who go to jail go back to jail after they get out. You don't get better in jail. They get worse. Some say the 10% just never got caught, that's all. You don't get better in such an environment. But is it Yashar to send people to jail? Of course it is. But it's not tov. You're not helping him. But Hashem's jail is tov yashar. Says David HaMelech, whenever Hashem is yashar with a person, there's also a tov. There's also a good in it. Tov yashar Adonai, alken, that's why, yoreh hataim badarech. Those people who are off, they're not living their life the way they're supposed to. Hashem is yashar with them, but He's also tov with them. Like we say every day in our Amidah, we say, Hashem wants the person to be the best them. Not for him, not for our God, because he needs us. He wants you because he knows it's good for you. He so much wants Teshuvah. In fact, 
the story of Menashe that I just read to you. It said that when Menashe prayed to Hashem in that time, it says, Ve'ye'aterlo. What's Ve'ye'aterlo? means Hashem answered him. The Gemara says on this Pasuk, Amar Yohanan, if you look in the Pasuk, it says, Ve'ye'aterlo. With a head instead of an ayin. Says the Gemara, it should say, Ve'ye'aterlo. Ye'aterlo means he answered his prayer. What's Ve'ye'aterlo? Says the Gemara, no, no, no. It's teaching us how his prayer was answered. He says, the Gemara says, when he prayed, all the terrible things he did in his life were blocking his tefillot. The Midat Hadin said, no way we could take this guy. There's no, you know how much destruction this guy caused? There's no way this prayer is going to be effective. Impossible. Hashem, he made a mahteret. A mahteret is like a, is like a, a me'ara, like a hole where he allowed his prayer to go in. Which means, even when it was impossible for this man to make teshuvah and to be accepted, Hashem helped him. He figured out a way how to get him in. Yisurin, our very beloved, the Pasuk says, Ki et asher Hashem If he loves you, he sends you to Chacha. There's a story I saw once, a beautiful story. Of a great rabbi, his name is Rav Lopian. He said the story was older. He says the story when he was a young boy. He was a little child. He says he was a little wild, maybe a lot wild. And he caused damage around the house like little children do. He says one day he was playing ball in the house. He's not supposed to. His mother told him already a few times not to. So he threw the ball and it broke a glass cup to pieces. His mother walks in. She sees what he did. She gave it to him. Every good thing a mother would say. Okay, he understood. He did a bad thing. He says, sometime later, a chicken walked into the house. In those days, they had chickens around. A chicken walked into the house and knocked six, seven glasses of water on the floor, broke them, destroyed Now he's waiting to see what his mother's going to do to the chicken. He broke one cup. And I'm her son. He broke six cups. And he's a Tarnagol. Let's see, he's going to rip the Tarnagol apart. His mother walks in. She sees what the Tarnagol did. She's, ugh. She walks out. This kid, he went crazy. He can't believe it. He's so upset. He got yelled at. The tarnigal, the chicken got an ach. That's it. And he looked real disturbed. His mother saw him. Said, "What happened to you? What's wrong?" He said, "Mom, I don't get it. I thought you loved me. I see you don't even love me like you love the chicken." So what are you talking about? He says, look what happened. He told her a story. Of course, we all know the answer. She told him, I love you. Of course, I love you. And I know how special you could be. I know how great you could become. I'm trying to help you for your future. 
the tanne gold. What am I going to help him? What am I going to do to him? If I yell at him, what's going to happen? He's a tanne gold, a chicken, he's a rooster. What's going to happen to him? That's what it means. It asher, you have Hashem. If Hashem is giving someone tochaha, it means he sees something special in that person. It means he sees that there's something more about you that needs to come into fruition. If there wasn't, he'd leave you like the Tarnagol. Hashem doesn't send Yisurin to animals. There's no Yisurin to elephants. Lions aren't suffering Yisurin. It's only us, those who have great potential. It's no different than a doctor. Could you imagine? You see a person, someone's cutting them up. And after they finish cutting them up, they go to the guy, thank you so much. Can't thank you enough. Wow, you're really so special. The kindness that you have. Can't, what is going on here? I got to cut a knife and cut you. What are you saying? Thank you, thank you to him. But of course, if it's a doctor that saved your life and he needed to cut in to heal your kidney or your heart, you say, you say thank you. That is, that is Yisurin. Yisurin is the surgery of the Creator. It says by, you know, we all know the story of, of Bil'am. It says Hashem sent the Malach to try to stop him when he was going on the road to curse the Jewish people. As she says, Malach shel Rahamim haya. I would have thought this Malach was the Malach of, of, of suffering, the Malach that causes pain and destruction. Which Malach Hashem sent Bil'am when he was doing something wrong? Which Malach he sent him? Malach of Rahamim, the compassionate Malach. Because Hashem wanted to help Bil'am. Yisurin is so special. I hate to say those words that way. But they're so special. Basuk says that Yitzhak Avinu, the first person who was Zakin, who got, excuse me, the first person who got Yisurin in the Torah was Yitzhak. His eyes, he started to go. How did that happen? The Midrash tells a little history. The Midrash says that Yitzhak prayed, Ribon Ha'olamim. Could you imagine this? Again, we can't imagine Moshe, what he was worried about, and we can't imagine this. It says that Yitzhak, he prayed to Hashem. He says a person one day is suddenly going to die. And he doesn't know when that's going to be. And he's not going to accomplish in his life. Hashem, ten la adam yisurin. Could you imagine our grandpa Yitzhak? You know the one that we say, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Grandpa Yitzhak, he prayed to Hashem. Till then, there was no yisurin. Hashem got a tefillah from Yitzhak. What was the tefillah? Exact opposite of what we pray for. We pray that my children should be healthy, and you should pray, I'm not saying you should, forever and ever and ever, no one should ever be sick ever. Yitzhak Avinu, Hashem, please, send them Yisurim. Could you imagine that? Hashem told them, Hayecha, I hear you. Davar tov tabata. You ask good. I was waiting for someone to finally ask. Free choice. We have to ask for Yisurin. I was waiting for someone to ask. He says, And you're the first person. He lost his ability to see. Imagine Yisurin, Yitzhak is praying for it. 
all suffering, great or small, is a catalyst to reach our potential and greatness. Now, by the way, not to say that when Yisurin come, that means it's an automatic, you're going to get better. No, no, no. Remember, the rules. Hashem send you, you are going to deal with it. You can make things better when you have Yisurin, or you can make things worse. The response is completely yours. The only thing that's not possible by Yisurin is no response. That's not possible. You could either go up, you could say, wow, what a wake-up call. What am I going to do? Let me figure things out. I need to get better. I could do more in my life. My midot, not where they should be. I'm not a good husband like I should be. I could be a better mother. I could be a better father. I could be a better Jew. I could wake up earlier. I could help more people. I could be more humble. I could be more... That's a great response. The other response is, I can't believe it. What do they want from me? This world is terrible. It's such an evil world. Why are they targeting me? What do they want from me? And instead of getting better, you actually get worse. Yisurim cannot keep you the same. The response is going to come. It's impossible not to respond. You either go up or you go, you go down. You know, I want to tell you something. Any great person you've ever met, will ultimately share with you stories that their birth of greatness came from Yisurim. It's a story you'll always find that the greatest people in history went through Yisurim to get there. Yosef went through Yisurim. David went through Yisurim. Bnei Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu, Yisurim. Yisurim is part of the greatness of a person. But I'll tell you one thing you'll almost never hear. You'll hear stories. You'll ask, wait, tell me, when did you get like that? When did you become like that? When did you turn the corner? I see you so special. When, when did that happen? Oh, I'll tell you a story. What happened to me? This happened to me. This happened to my daughter. This happened to my son. This happened to You'll always hear a story like that. Always. Check it. You'll see. But I'll tell you a story you'll never hear. You ask someone how great they are, and they'll say, really, nothing. My life's been perfect, tranquil, never had a problem in my life. And I accomplished in a big way. You'll almost never hear that. That's the option. The option is hardship or challenge. It's our choice. Is it a hardship or is it your challenge? You have to make that choice. It's the same item. You have to decide what you're going to call it. I once saw a beautiful mashal. It's like a person throwing a football at you. You have three choices when someone throws a football at you. There's three choices. Either you could let it hit you, or you could duck to get out of the way, or you can catch it and run with it for the touchdown. Yisurin is exactly that. You could spend your time trying to avoid it. You could let it hit you and complain all day. Or you can catch it and run with it. Whatever that means, that's not for today. That's what Hashem tells. You know, how does Megillat Echa begin? Echa Yasheva Badad. 
The word echaz used when there was great destruction in our nation. Echa means how could it be? How could it be? It's unfathomable. Wow, what destruction. There are people right now in Ukraine looking at their homes and their buildings and saying, what is this? How could it be? But Hazal tells us that the word Echa is the same exact letters as the word Ayeka. Ayeka means, where are you? Echa could be read, how could it be? And it could be read, Ayeka. Hashem told Adam Harishon after he messed up, when he saw what he destroyed, when he saw the Echa, Hashem told him, Ayeka, where are you? Hashem knew where he is. What he was telling him is, what happened to you? The loads of greatness that you have, the loads of goodness that you're capable of, where are you? I gave you so much, where are you? Every time in history or in our personal lives, there is an when you go, ah, oh, I can't believe it. You have to read it again. Ayeka, where are you? That is Yisurin. Yisurin is like the story of that king. He had it as a king. He had a beautiful diamond. Only one like it in the entire world. This giant, beautiful, round diamond. And every time someone would come to visit the king, he would show with pride his diamond, one piece in the entire world. So proud of the diamond. And one time as he was handling the diamond, it fell on the floor. And a big gash, a big hole, he found in the diamond. That beautiful diamond is gone. He was broken himself more than the diamond. He didn't know what to do. He needed help. He sent out a proclamation. Any person that would come and fix my diamond, I will give him anything he asked for. But if he comes and he doesn't fix it, he will be killed on the spot. So don't waste my time. So everyone heard the first part. They're running. They heard the second part? Okay. Nobody's coming. Nobody's taking the risk. Who's going to fix the diamond? Impossible. Until one guy comes. He says, he says, Your Majesty, I'll do it. He says, You're sure? You know the consequence? Yes, I'll do it. He says, Give me these tools. I gave him the tools. Put me in a room. I'll let you know when I'm done. Guy okay, works and works and works and works comes out, gives the king. King can't wait to see what this guy's going to do. To a diamond that has a big hole in the middle. Can't replace it. What do you do? He takes out the diamond and he cannot believe what this man did. He cannot believe that the diamond looks more beautiful than before. What the guy did is he took little diamonds and he created the most beautiful flower made out of diamonds coming out of the hole. 
it gave such beauty to the diamond. Before it was like a plain diamond. Now it was a diamond that had a beautiful flower of diamonds coming out of it. It was stunning. That's Yisurin. Yisurin is creating a home to bring out a beautiful flower that was never there before. That's why the Pasuk says, Adonai Morish Uma'ashir. Morish means he makes people poor. But he's Ma'ashir. He makes people wealthy. Some learn it means some people he makes poor and some people he makes wealthy. But others say, no, no, no. Hashem Morish. Sometimes when you have it so good, you've lost yourself. Hashem is Morish. He takes away some of your wealth. Different types of wealth. Uma Ashir. To make you Ashir. To make you really wealthy. Mashpil. Sometimes he lowers you. Af Meromem. But really he's raising you. The Echan, the Ayeka are very much intertwined. That is the words of David Melech. Look at these beautiful words. Such beautiful words, really. It's like hard to believe. How do you think of this? Says David Melech. Tsarot levavi hirhibu. Simply explain. This is how most people explain it. Tsarot levavi. The sorrow of my heart. Hirhibu. The sorrows have widened. I have so much sorrow. There used to be this much of my heart. Today there is this much. So much. Mimesukotai. From my stress. Hotsieni. Please take me out. So let's read the passage again. Sarot The sorrows of my heart have widened so much. Mimesukotai. From my stress. That's coming from my tsarot. Please Hashem. Enough. Hotsieni. Take me out. It says the Malbim, that is the wrong explanation. David is not complaining about his tzarot. And if you look at the Ta'amim, it supports very much what the Malbim says. The Malbim says you read it like this. Tzarot, comma, stop. Sorrow, Yisurin, Levavir, Hibu. They only open my heart. They make me much bigger. They make me care about people. The people who built children's hospitals didn't have healthy children. I can promise you that. The people who help usually are people who feel the pain. Says David Amir, I'll never complain about Sarot. Sarot levavir himu. I saw my whole life that Sarot opened my heart. I became a bigger person. I became smarter. I became a bigger giver. I became so much better. Tsarot? I don't complain about Tsarot. Tsarot levavir hivu. Mimesukotai hotsieni. But please help me deal with them. That I shouldn't be stressed about them. I shouldn't stress over the Tsarot. But the Tsarot themselves, I don't complain about. In fact, look at the, 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 the rehearse says. That the word sara, which means sorrow, the word sorrow comes from the word sara. He says the word sara in Hebrew is the same exact word as tsura. Tsura 
means form. What does sorrow have to do with forming? He says, when Hashem sends somebody a tzara, it's there to form a new tzara. It's to form the next great you. Like we say in Hallel, Min ha-metzar karatia. When I have metzar, when it's tight, when it's difficult, karatia, I call out to Hashem, Anani ba-merhavia. He answers me, ba-merhav. Mahav means it got so much wider. I never knew before the Sarah, I never knew how much Sarah I really had. I only realized today. I never knew how much more I could be. That's why David Amela says, Even Ma'asu Habonim. The builders, while they're building the magnificent building, they see a stone. They say, Ugh, this stone is so ugly. Who needs a stone? But the architect put it in the plans. So they put it up. It's so deep. What a stone is this? Hayata le Roshpina. But when they put the building together, they realized that that stone was the highlight of the building. David is not an architect. He's talking about our building, our life. In life, Hashem sometimes sends us an Evan. He sends a stone. And we say, what is this for? Why do I need this? in my life. Even ma'asu habonim, the builders of their life. Say, what do I need this stone for? Hayeta, but if they go forward, hayeta Roshpina, one day, they will thank Hashem for that stone. Because they will realize that that stone just transformed their life. This is habibin yisurim. And that's why we blow the shofar. On Rosh Hashanah, the shofar, if you notice, where we blow is very narrow. Where the sound comes out is very wide. When you cry from narrowness, it becomes much beautiful and much wider. That is the cry of the shofar. And that, that's what it means, Habibin Yisurim. So the silence of Aharon when he saw that tragedy, he had the chokhmah to understand. Challenging, it is. Difficult, it is. Bad, it isn't. It's transformative. It's an event that I don't understand. But one day, I'll understand how beautiful that was. It's the shetika of knowing there's so much more here that I don't understand. And I appreciate it. Habibin Yisurin. It's one of the great steps to living a life of Simha. Baruch Amen Amen.